My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. cycle is a cyclical age in Hindu cosmology. Each cycle lasts for 4,320,000 years and repeats four yugas, the Satya Yuga, the Treta Yuga, the Dvapara Yuga, and Kali Yuga. As a yuga cycle progresses through the four yugas, each yuga's length and humanity's general moral and physical state within each yuga decreases by one-fourth. Kali Yuga, which lasts for 432,000 years, is believed to have started in 3,102 BCE, near the end of Kali Yuga, when virtues are at their worst. A cataclysm and a re-establishment of Dharma occur to usher in the next cycle's Satya Yuga, prophesied to occur by Kalki. And today's guest, a returning champion, Ian Ferguson, rests firmly in the celestial current, working with three spheres and nine angelic choirs of the angelic hierarchy. Ian has pledged his life to the Most High, laying the seeds for the coming golden age of the Satya Yugas. Ian acts as a lighthouse upon the storm-swept seas of Kali Yuga, offering advice and guidance to sincere seekers like yours truly. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation between myself, Mystic Mark, and Ian Ferguson. Thank you for tuning in, and enjoy this conversation with Ian Ferguson. What about these science? Are they getting increasingly obvious and less subtle? That is not the mark of people who are in control. In the 1980s, these people were in total control. Nobody knew that there was dark sorcerers around the world. And they just dominated everything. They did all the bad stuff to the kids back then. Nobody knew about it. Well, they were in total control. And they're in less control now. Yeah. Believe it or not. Online information, and I just think books are just almost always better. Yeah. Except for current events, you know, you need that online, of course. Well, and I think yeah. you know, just having the books, there's a sort of um, absorption consciously that, or subconsciously, that happens whether you read yeah. the book or not. You know, sometimes there's some thought that our astral bodies go out and read books while we're dreaming. Uh, that's something we talked about on a recent episode. 
Wow, that's odd, man. I that's awesome. Please get to work, Astro Body, and read everything back there. I don't know. I mean, that makes some sense to me, actually. I did a little bit of astral travel uh, work. I have a really good book on it called Astral Dynamics. And it's it's that blue book uh, right there, that okay. rather tall blue book next to the brown ones. It's really good for teaching about astral projection and, and astral travel. The thing is, is that people need to understand, and he doesn't emphasize this nearly enough in that book, but it is not, not risk-free to astral travel. Dreams are. You can be in the... You, so there's a crossover space between the astral realms and the just average dream space. There's a shared dream space. And that space seems to be totally safe, other than maybe it can mess with your mind a bit. But astral space is not. And people should really be aware of that, actually. Yeah. Just, there's so many, there's so much occult information that's out there now that I cringe sometimes thinking about how much, especially like dark magic stuff there is out there. So readily accessible and people who don't know what they're doing are opening portals left, right and center to the lower astral. And it's like, God, you know, it's part of the reason I enjoy living rurally. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I did just have a conversation with uh, a friend, Joe Roop, who has his own podcast. He's done a lot with astral travel, and that's something we discussed, you know, the dangers of it. And, you know, he talked about people who have not come back from these astral trips. And, you know, the sad and scary thing about that is, well, we don't know what happened to them because they're not mm -hmm. here to tell us, you know, and all we can do is base off, you know, maybe circumstantial evidence that they were astral traveling but there were a few cases where people were found you know in a maybe a yogic position and they had passed away right and yeah who knows mm -hmm. what happened to them beyond but we are recording thankfully for our supporters only but let's get started i didn't want to miss that that was great i'm glad we started with that oh, that I little like astral travel thing got in there cool yeah um, just to to tie that off, then the, the greater risk isn't so much death, although that can happen. The greater risk is astral psychosis. Mm. Pe people can become psychotic from doing, especially a lot of work in the astral space, especially out of their body. They can end up being stuck partially outside of their body, can have degradation of the energy fields. And that tends to manifest as mental health issues, in particular, like delusions, because you're A, you're vibrating in a frequency that makes it very likely that you're going to interact with lower astral beings so there's all manner of parasites and trickster spirits those are far more common than the really hardcore you know like name demons right like that people generally don't just randomly run into those unless they've worked with those demons that's why i'm just like i cannot recommend highly enough to stay away from darker magic it's you know it's very addictive and it's very dangerous and i just they have a better PR team than Team Angelic Magic. We're also here at the tail end of the Kali Yuga, you know, and so we're, we're dealing more with the occult knowledge of the demonic side is far more readily available. And that's part of the reason that these people believe that all occult and esoteric knowledge is automatically of the devil, because the vast bulk of what is out there is from various shades of gray to pitch black magic. Right. You know, there's not a lot of stuff on like angelic magic or, or healing magic. It exists, but it's far less than the demonic side. I would say probably 100 to 1. Right. Like if you can look up about any demon, no matter how low and no matter how powerful, like the clephotic demons in particular, the tree of death, like you can look up a million different ways to summon them 
And a lot of them would work. You probably don't actually want it to work because these beings are hyper intelligent and basically immortal. So they can play the long game and they're, they're smarter than you. I mean, they're smarter than everyone. I mean, I include myself in the statement as well. I mean, by you, I mean humans. They are smarter than us and they're basically immortal. And so when you are basically immortal and much more intelligent and you just have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, whatever it is, years of experience, like it's quite easy to dupe people. People always think they're in charge. And the more you think you're in charge, probably the less in charge you are, actually. Yeah. If you know, I just really recommend people stay away from it because packs in particular are devastating. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to get into all of that. I think there's plenty of room for that. But since we just started, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm here with returning guest Ian Ferguson, who has the YouTube channel White Lotus of Light, as well as a website where you can get in touch with him by the same name, White Lotus of Light. Uh, the links are all in the description. But Ian, welcome back to the show. I'm glad we started off on this foot. And, you know, you mentioned angelic magic as opposed to, mm -hmm. in my experience, what seems more readily available, which is this sort of darker path, right? And it, oh, it yeah. isn't obvious to the novices because of this scientific materialist environment that many of us mm -hmm. find ourselves in where things are sort of casted in a shadow. And because of this sort of lumping together, people think, well, since these people who are clearly lying or corrupt or whatever your umbrage is with them, since they say it's bad, well, then it must be good, right? And that might be true for some things like astrology or maybe even tarot, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, making packs, doing ceremonial magic and things like this, this is all mm. stuff that is reserved for uh, experts and pros and people who are willing to take those risks. Because, yeah, it is very dangerous stuff. But where did you uh, initially find yourself on this path with? Were you at first confronted with that, those dark options, those dark paths? And did you have the sort of, did you have any experiences that kind of showed you what else was possible? I mean, explain to us how you found yourself in this position. Because I, I know you, angelic magic is something that we're going to talk about today, and it's something you practice. Yeah, I've been, I've been doing angelic magic for about three years now. But for whatever reason, I really, well, not for whatever reason, I had an ex who was definitely into the darker stuff. And then I actually think she used black magic on me and I even know kind of the moment she used it and she just sort of got influence over me somehow. And I ended up, I was fresh off divorce and I guess I was sort of emotionally vulnerable and I don't sit here and pretend to say that I'm some superhuman person. And so she just sort of either through just normal psychological manipulation means or through magic, but she was definitely a practicing dark magician that she was very open about. She somehow got her hooks into me and like I really saw firsthand a lot of like her using darker magic and I didn't like it. And I'm kind of like an oppositional defiant kind of person. And in this case, it drove me into angelic magic. And then I just really dove into it. And finally, like the, I realized that I had made a terrible mistake. You know, we split, but I learned a lot from her over the, over that period of time. And I actually rubbed shoulders with and met a lot of people who were darker magicians, I guess. One of the things that surprised me is not all of them were evil most of them were just people who were very traumatized and seemed like something in life that made them feel disempowered. 
And they were F you, dad, not specifically their father, but I mean, just in the sense of F you authority, F you mainstream, I'm going to get powerful. And they start dabbling with this dark magic because really they want to feel in control. And what they're really actually looking for, I'm convinced, is healing. In fact, there's one of them uh, sort of changed teams and is now an angelic magician as well. Um, after decades of being a dark magician, they, he, he claims the angels came to him and said, this is your final warning. If you continue on this path, like you'll be damned forever. And they also gave him a vision of all the negative stuff that he had put out there by teaching people dark magic and by teaching them to subjugate their will to the demons, right? With packs and whatnot. And so he got a glimpse for whatever reason of what he had wrought. And so he's very much on the redemption path, but he's pretty concerned, you know, about how things are going to be as far as his soul goes, you know, because of all the magic he's wrought. But magic, how it first began for me, we kind of alluded to this before we started recording, although I don't know how much we recorded there, I guess. But you talked about how 9-11 is coming up. In fact, this might come out in 9-11. And my awakening process very much centered around 9-11. I mean, I was a very spiritual kid. I was very interested in like Atlantis. I knew it really existed. My father said no. And I usually just took whatever my father said is true. But when he said Atlantis didn't exist, I was like, that is not true. I just knew that it wasn't true. I knew like the Kennedy assassination didn't make sense when I just barely even looked into it. I was like, I think those conspiracy guys that my dad always mocks might be right. And so I always kind of was interested in the weird off the beaten path stuff. But then when the hormones hit, when I was like 12 or 13, it was girls and nothing else. That was all I cared about. And I became very, I don't know, dim-witted. Like I swear I shaved off 40 IQ points <laughs> and I just wasn't interested in anything occult or anything like that. And then I took this religions of India class and it was the winter term 2000. So it started in 2000 and ended in 2001. And I read the Bhagavad Gita. And I got to this passage where it said, where Krishna is talking to Arjuna and he says, Arjuna says to Krishna, I can't kill my cousin. And Krishna says, oh, you can't kill your cousin. That's fine. He's like, what are you talking about? We're here on this frozen in time battlefield. I'm like, there's a guy over there with like an arrow through his head. Obviously that guy's dead. And Krishna was like, well, you're mistaking the body, which are more like clothes for the soul. And then he says, what your cousin truly is, sword cannot cut it, fire cannot burn it water cannot drown it air cannot wither it for the atman is immortal changeless and eternal and when i read that line and i'm you know just it's not exactly how the line goes very close though i felt like there was this gong like this bell went off in me and that is really the moment of when my adult spiritual awakening began at the end of that same term i had like not eaten really for probably like i don't know a week or at least four or five days i hadn't eaten much because it's the end of the term I was cramming a sting up all night. I wasn't smoking weed. I hadn't smoked weed in like two weeks for the, all the finals and all this kind of stuff. And the minute I got done with school, the first thing I wanted was to go take a bong rip. And I took two huge Sobe bong rips and I couldn't even play Mario Kart. I was like banging into the wall and they're shooting me with turtle shells and laughing at me. And I was like, man, I can't even play this. And I tried to watch them. I couldn't even watch them. And I went in my bedroom. I laid down and I had this really intense vision that showed all these politicians that were possessed by demons. And I saw this like horrible undulating black wave and this terrible clacking noise. And then it panned out and it showed that there was this skull made of flesh eating scarab beetles over the continent of Africa, especially central Africa. 
And I didn't really understand what that meant. You know, I think it was just like all the black magic that's been perpetrated on the different places that have been colonized, you know, and just like the death and genocide and stuff that's happened in Africa. It's particularly, it's been a particularly um, difficult place to live for a long time for a variety of reasons. And so I'm not exactly sure what that part meant, but then it, showed me a map of the United States from space. And all of a sudden I saw this, you know, like a, a droplet going into a pond and how the ripple comes out. I saw something, but with like real kinetic force slam into right where New York was and this ripple appeared. And then in that ripple, there appeared this dark wave and it smashed against the West coast. And along the West coast, there was this thin little line of light. And of course I was on the West coast at the time. And I'm not saying like, certainly nowadays I would question whether the hope of humanity lies in the West Coast of the United States, right? But at the time, that was who tried to resist what was to come. And this wave hit the wall of light that shot up and it stopped the wave. And then the wave had within all these different, like, deep sea fish and, like, barracuda and stuff like that. And, they, and, and, and alligators and stuff, like, water animals that are, like, really, like, kind of scary looking. And even, like, those deep sea, like, angler fish with the really sharp teeth. And they all started, like, fighting with each other a little bit. And then the wave drew up even bigger, and it slammed. And again, this line of light rose up to meet it. So then that wave of, or that, like, ocean of blackness, it was getting really thick and viscous, like, tar now. Like, it had been oily before, but now it was getting thicker and viscous. And they were actually really fighting with each other these different like monsters in it and then the wave the wave rose up so high that it went like off the earth and then it slammed again and then this light rose up to meet it and where the blackness hit that light it started shaking and vibrating and it turned into light and this light that went all the way around the planet and this voice said to me and the light of humanity shall uh, spread once more across the earth and i was like what the actual fuck was that because I had no context for this. I was just watching Beavis and Butthead a year or two prior, really not making use of my intelligence for anything other than, I guess, maybe some role-playing games and board games or whatever, video games maybe. But I was just really not doing anything with my life, and I wasn't paying any attention, certainly, to anything spiritual. So this was like, what the actual fuck was that? And then eight months later, 9-11 happened. And, I, and it took me until later in the day, and I go, oh, my God, that's that thing from that weird tripped out thing that I had last year. There also was, like, it talked about a past life, which I'm not going to share, but a very personal past life, and I started having really intense dreams about that past life. I ended up even translating it because the name was in a foreign language, and it made perfect sense. So it was a very strange experience, and then 9-11 happened, and for whatever reason, I on 9-11 was able to figure out, wait a minute, why didn't they have pop-up surface terror missile turrets at the Pentagon? We've had that technology since the 60s. Surely they have that. Otherwise, the Russians would have already attacked from the air of the Pentagon. Like, how the hell did these guys slip through? And I broached it with my friend saying, you know, World of Warcraft, or regular Warcraft, excuse me, Warcraft 2, what's the first thing you do? And they said, wait got to put up air defense because if the other guy speed builds and gets griffin riders or dragons which can hit the ground or the air but can only be hit by things that can hit air and they said we got to build aero towers because you need static air defense or else if the other guy power builds then you'll just get wiped out duh and i said where was the air defense around the pentagon and all my friends like they were like and the blood drained from their face and they looked down and they were just like really contemplating it and the one of them goes no 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 that would mean the government was in on it. And I said, but it would certainly seem to imply that, but 
that doesn't answer my question. Where was the air defense? It's like, why weren't there jets? Why weren't there jets scrambled? Why weren't there surface-to-air missile pop-up turrets around the Pentagon? How did the Pentagon get hit? And they didn't have any answer. A few weeks went by, and then the guy that I bought weed from, he goes, hey, have you heard any of these 9-11 conspiracy theories? And I was like, oh, my God, thank you. And he introduced me to Mike Rupert. I knew about Will Bill Cooper, the guy who wrote Behold a Pale Horse. And I had read a lot of conspiracy theory stuff, but I didn't put a lot of stock in that kind of stuff until 9-11. Well, the stealing of the election with Bush and Gore, that also, I knew that was stolen. But I didn't really, you know, nowadays I would say it's kind of like the water I swim in. But back then I didn't really care about conspiracies or think about it until 9-11 happened. And it matching that vision was like, what the hell? Yeah, that's really uncanny. And you said that was about eight or so months before the event. What was that like, that time period before 9-11? I mean, so much has changed since then. But, you know, Y2K was this sort of all the rage uh, a year prior. But yeah. can you speak to, like, the mindset of the average person back then? Maybe oh, even, man. Like, the state Not a day of conspiracy? goes by that I don't. Not a day goes by that I don't miss pre-9-11 America. <laughs> yeah. People who weren't, like, young adults, at least then, they really don't know what they've lost. They really don't understand. Like, I didn't even understand it, but the dollar was insanely strong in the 90s. You know, like, I traveled to Europe a couple times in the 90s. Man, it was ridiculous. The dollar was just so strong. And the economy, you know, you could randomly buy any random stocks, you know, because they were inflating for the big crash to come. You could buy any stock and get make money. I mean, I didn't really do that, unfortunately, but a lot of people did. And the main thing is you just were so free. You could just do whatever the hell you wanted as long as it wasn't like patently illegal. And there's stuff that was like borderline illegal, like toilet papering and tortillaing someone's house, you know, to razz each other as kids. And like, Nobody really, you know, like, it's like, oh, okay, kids, like if it was a constant thing, then maybe you get in trouble. But generally the adults would just kind of roll their eyes and whatever. And they didn't care. The boomers, like to their credit, to a certain extent, and also to their loss, like raising us Gen X kids, like they just let us do whatever the fuck it seemed. Like we went all over the place, you know, like I went all over Portland, rode the buses by myself, all kinds of stuff you know, and uh, you'd go to the airports and you could see your grandmother come right out of the gate and you give her a hug right there in the spot. And the thing is, I don't feel any safer with all that additional security. I feel actually way less safe. You know, a big part of that is I'm aware, obviously, that like the government's the threat here. And so all that security is for them to have total access and you to have none, right? You know what I mean? They, they're the ones they want to have that. It's, it's like Kennedy and his Secret Service guys getting off the back of the car, right? You know, so. Yeah, well, and I just had a really incredible podcast about JFK. So, I mean, don't get me started. There's so much I can say about that. But when it comes to 9-11, JFK, and a lot of other events, some that we even Mm -hmm. talked about the last time you were on the show, the Ohio Mm -hmm. disaster and whatnot. Mm. Oh, yeah. And it seems over and over again that there's this theme of ritualistic aspects that (laughs) beckon the question, are we being traumatized at a mass level? And given your practice with angelic magic, I mean, do you think that the average person can equip themselves 
to help fight against this? I mean, how do you see mm-hmm. us turning the tide? Because it seems like since 9-11, we've only had an escalation of fear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who else to turn to but these higher forces? Wow. I mean, there's a lot there. I mean, I think, you know, one of the main things that angels have worked on with me as I moved up the spheres, you know, I started with the angels and then I would work with the archangels and I'm, I don't know, I'm very psychic. I just am. And it's just like something I had a lot when I was a kid. Like I said, it shut off for like a decade there, but it, you know, I've worked to develop it as well. And so I can hear the angels and not everyone can like, I can teach people to summon the angels and have real world effects for them. If it's in alignment with their soul's highest good and the divine plan of the most high, I always make sure people add those caveats to angelic magic, but I can teach people to do that. But most people can't hear the angels. Some people can, I'm not the only one, like I've had other students or friends or whatever, but because I was able to talk to them, they Razio Archangel Razio, who's key in summoning the 72 lower angels I one day said, well, I feel a little uncomfortable always asking the angels. It's funny because this lines up with JFK, I just realized. I said, I feel uncomfortable telling these beautiful beings of light what to do. And Archangel said, why? That's literally their purpose. Their purpose is to answer prayers or a more refined form of prayer, ceremonial ritual magic, right? Which it's just a more refined form of prayer with greater intent. That's why some people who are very devout can pray and the world will change around them right? They can pray. I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners know someone like that, but if you know someone, especially who's like a true good Christian, who's like really gets it, and they're like a truly good Christian, which is fairly rare, they very often can pray and have absolute miracles happen. I've seen it. My mom's that way. I know someone else's mother is that way, and they're just very loving, devout people. And it doesn't work every time, but I will ask my mom to pray for me for sure, because it you know, sometimes I want a little extra help. And so I asked, that, I said, Raziel, well, that's great. That's what they were designed for us to answer these prayers. And I said, but I just feel, I feel uncomfortable to some degree. And I want to ask, what can I do to serve the celestial parent, right? Ask that what you can do for your country or what your country can do for you, right? But I did literally ask this and Raziel said, now you're asking the right questions. And so the angels then put me through this, I don't know, my paces, I guess, to see if I was worthy and also to affect change to where I was doing change. Cause it's, it's invocation. When you work with angels or ask you to change your inner world, then that does impact the outer world, right? You sort of change your vibration, you track to you circumstances that are more pleasurable and nice and whatever, more harmonious, right? Cause angels create greater harmony in your life. Whereas the demons create greater chaos as a general rule. And with demons, you're doing evocation. So let's change the outer world to what I want. But that changes you inside. It corrupts you on the inside. In the same way that when you work on yourself on the inside with the angels, that'll change your external experience and in a way that's much more harmonious than if you had tried to design it yourself with your mind. And so I said, what can I do? And so they had me prove my worthiness. They had me start doing lots of charity. They had me for a while texting or calling people. And I would have to inform them that the angels had told me to text or call them. You know, and that was, it turns out, like, to test my faith, because it was very hard. I was like, do I have to say the part about the angels? And they were like, yes, you must. And it was very embarrassing at the time. And I just was like, especially when people, like, lead me on red, and they'd be like, you okay, bro? You know what I mean? Like, 
And so I had to question that. And then as I moved my way up, and then he taught me how to contact the principalities, which are the choir directly above the archangels, and they're the messengers who go between all three spheres and all nine choirs, all the heavenly celestial realms and earth. And so the principalities were the key in, in to access these higher choirs. And again, they really put me through the pieces and really wanted me to do real, like more than I could afford levels of giving, charitable giving. And then as I moved up to the, the second sphere, which is the virtues, virtues, powers, and dominions, it became much more of an internal experience. And it was much more about me confronting my shadow in ways that I sin, not in the sense of like the Christian idea of sin, but where I was missing the mark. One of the things that struck me about the angels is they have a very different attitude towards sex than most people would think, because most people think that angels incorrectly are Christian in nature. The angels are mentioned, Archangel Michael in particular is mentioned in one of the, you know, some of the oldest Sumerian cylinder seals we have mention Archangel Michael. So, I mean, these beings existed long before Christianity, and Christianity has put their ideas around sex and, I guess, morality in general over there, angels. And it's very similar in a lot of ways, you know what I mean? Like a lot of the stuff like stealing or hurting people, anytime you did anything, the angels kind of thing is, is what you're, this action you're taking, is it in any way weakening your own free will or the free will of others? Or are you binding their free will, right? That's why like violence is generally speaking right out, you know, unless it's to protect the innocent, but violence is you're impacting someone else's free will because you're attacking them physically. If you're doing a binding spell on them or like a love magic spell, and you're not saying I want to attract love to me, which allows the angels to orchestrate that. And the angels might say, well, that's not in your soul's highest good right now. You need to work on yourself, you know, so they'll veto that spell, whereas the demons would bring it to you. If you say, I want Jennifer Connelly, right, the actress from Labyrinth, she's probably in her 50s now, like if I say, I want to bind her to love me, now I'm binding her will. And that's the main thing the angels don't like. And so their attitudes around sex and sexuality are all around free will. I mean, it is very much... Not unlike, um, I don't know what they think about gay sex, because that hasn't come up for me personally. I don't know whether they would care about that one way or the other. I do know that when it came to straight stuff, it was always about consent 100%, and that things like pornography or strippers, right, or prostitutes are all, like, they consider them horrible because you're binding the free will. And, and people say, oh, but there's money changing hands and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, they're, it's not something that they want to do. It's something that's circumstantial and usually based on their history. And that, and I'm not trying to like bag on sex workers here by any means. I'm just saying what the angel said. And basically they said that for a man, you should never have any interaction with a woman who, unless she wants your seed, that was the term they used, unless she wants your seed. And then if she wants your seed, it's about you being ethical and moral within that situation. And that you should never try and be like, a player guy manipulating women, right? Because then again, you're messing with their free will because you're not giving them full information. And of course, it works in reverse as well, women doing these things to subvert men's free will. And probably more women have cast love spells on men than vice versa, if I had to make a guess, actually. So it was mostly about consent was what they were really in free will uh, above all else. And so I had to go through and really 
heal and integrate my mistakes and my trauma, especially. And I'm still working on that. It's actually something I'm really working on right now with angels. It's very difficult. And I would say for most people, the best thing they could do to prepare themselves for what's to come is take care of the physical stuff if you can, because that is important, having food and water and medicine. And if you have enough money to want to preserve your money, then gold and silver as your baseline. And then if you feel like you want to go beyond that, you can, there's certain cryptos you can get into or whatever, but really take care of your physical needs first. And then, you know, don't spend too much time on all the financial stuff. Really the key is to work on your trauma above and beyond anything else. I'm really convinced because you said they're doing mass traumatization of people. It's absolutely true. Basically everyone you interact with is traumatized to some degree in this country because of the mass media. And, you know, things like the killing of JFK, and that was a killing of the King ritual, pretty clearly. Everything about the way it was done, you know, Camelot beforehand, elevating him to the status, you know, it's hinting that he's a king or putting it out there in the public consciousness that he's a king, and then they kill him. And it was very ritualistic. And same thing in 9-11, there's a guy who's falling out of the tower. It's very curious. The guy's falling out of the tower, and he perfectly makes the hangman tarot card. It's a very infamous picture of that. And that's like, is that the collective unconscious? Is that part of the spell? Did someone force this man's body to take that position as, you know, like remotely in some way? You know, it's hard to say. But or even the artists, human- even the artist who created that sculpture of, I think he was like a giant and there was like airplanes flying into his face and his office, his art space was in the Twin Towers and... uh he created that all prior to, you know, the event. But yeah, <laughs> I don't know how accurate that is. I mean, this is a theory I found on the internet or heard somewhere. But yeah, there's many examples of that weird collective consciousness and symbology, predictive programming, as some call it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's intentionally done. The 2012 Olympic Games opening ceremony is like the most blatant example of that. It's a COVID ritual. It's what brought COVID into existence. And one of the things a lot of people don't understand is like the way magic works in the Kali Yuga anyways, which is nearly over. I'm actually interviewing or have interviewed Bibu Dev Misra, the uh, scholar who like sort of cracked the code on the Yugas. And I'm certain he's right. And that's going up on my uh, channel here in a couple of weeks. He's incredible. But during the Kali Yuga, it seems that the way magic works is it's very much um, psychological in nature. And that it does rely on this co-creative process. You know, people say all the time, oh, everything's physical. Oh, is it really? Because literally everything we're doing right now appeared in someone's mind prior to that microphone being created, those headphones being created, those computers being created. It was a thought first. It actually comes from the subtle realms before it comes to the physical realm. You mentioned earlier about like the dead materialism that came out of 1830s, 1850s British Royal Society. Prior to that, almost all scientists were very holistic and very, you know, looking at the big picture. They weren't as specialized. There was always people who were more specialists. And that's when the specialists took over for the generalists. And, it, it, you know, most of the real genius in science has happened from people who are more of that generalist mold, right? Like, for example, Isaac Newton was a generalist. He was an alchemist. He was, you know, a physicist. He was a mathematician. He was all these different things. And that allows him to bring it all together with these really incredible theories. And so there's been a very intentional combination of making everyone into dead materialists 
And then also using things like these mass events and, as you see, the predictive programming. And what did I, I often say it's akin to from a magical point of view is uh, when hackers will hijack a bunch of computers and turn them into zombie computers, and then they have all this brute force and they can then do a DNS attack. They hack all these boomers' computers who click on the email they shouldn't, and their computer is now a zombie computer, and they have vast legion of these computers, and then they can do a DNS attack, which is very difficult for uh, most websites to deal with, right? And that's why you have like Cloudflare and all these things have come up to like try and prevent that sort of thing. But my point is that likewise, when you do the 2012 Olympic Games, everyone's really like, all right, it's the Olympics. And then they see like, hey, what is that giant coronavirus symbol that's now with all the LEDs? Like literally they have the coronavirus, you know, the shape of it with the spikes and everything. And then they show a bunch of doctors and nurses dancing a ton. Hmm, where did we see that in 2020? And then they have this thing where this gigantic uh, black cloaked skeleton magician appears and he starts waving this giant bone wand and up one of the beds spins up in the air and there's the children on it. He's like menacing the children. And then he extends the wand and out of it come fireballs. I mean, it's the most obvious black magic thing I've pretty much ever seen in my life that's been done publicly. And it was the coronavirus ritual. But what they then did is they didn't go, well, that's it. We don't have to do anything. They then spent the next, you know, eight years meticulously further planning something that was probably already a decade in the planning by that point, because the, the Rockefeller lockstep document came out around that time, 2010 to 2012 range. So they'd clearly been planning the, you know, events of 2020 for quite some time, but they used that magical spell because they had all these people with open minds who didn't understand what they were seeing because their dead materials and it went right down in their subconscious. And they basically hacked all these people's minds to get a brute force attack on reality to try and change it to their will. Well, the good news is, is that way back in uh, 2001, when 9-11 happened by like November of that year, I had figured out, because I have something called clear cognizance where I can just know something's true, even if I don't have all the evidence and I can often then reverse engineer it. But I came across the idea that the world was secretly run by black magicians. And I just immediately knew it was true. I just immediately knew it was true, even though it was the most insane thing I'd ever heard in my fucking life in 2001. I mean, people kind of take it for granted now that a huge amount of people are like, oh, yeah, Satanists, pedos, like run things, right? You know, I call them Malachians, but the satanic force, you know, runs the planet and that there's people who are using black magic. And like, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily common knowledge now, but probably 20% to 30% of people are at least familiar with the concept and have weighed it in their minds to some degree, whether or not it's true. And probably the majority of those people have heard it, probably have concluded that, yes, it's true. And I would say somewhere between 10 to 15% of people kind of know this. I don't know, that might be overstating it, but I think that's about right. Whereas when I figured this out in like November of 2001, I would say it was one in 10,000 to one in 100,000, maybe one in a million. It was exceedingly rare, the people who kind of believe stuff that's fairly common knowledge. And that means that people are waking up at like an incredible rate. And, you know, we talk about the Luciferians and Malachians a lot on my channel. And I believe that the Luciferians have completely unplugged from the Malachians and aren't helping them any anymore. And that's why ever since 2020, every PSYOP since 2020, the big one, the obvious one, right, has been really sloppy. I mean, notice that if you notice how sloppy they are now, 
Like when you look at Sandy Hook, for example, right? That was very well done. All the different things that were done under Obama during the Obama administration, the Bush administration, all the psyops they did back then, they were almost all like actually really well done to where it was very difficult to pierce them. And now they're just sloppy as fuck. Look at what just happened in Lahaina. Right? Like fire turning right corners. And it just so happens that I actually finally saw a couple, but basically there were one or two modest homes that survived that fire. And every other home that survived was like, you know, 10 to $50 million price tag on it. You don't need Zillow to just take a look at it and see that it's there in Maui on the fricking beach. And it looks like it's a six bedroom house. You know what I mean? Like do the math, right? You're talking a multi-million dollar thing, which implies that's 10% of that person's net worth, something like that, which means they're probably worth a hundred mil plus they're in the club. And those are the ones that were spared. But somebody left some calling cards, I believe, intentionally. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a guy named Hawaiian Real Estate who, if he was just a total normie, getting back to that people are waking up fast. If you watch all his videos before Lahaina, he's like, hey, come to Maui, bro, and like hang loose and buy some property, bro. You know, he was just like this Hawaii boomer dude, you know, maybe Gen X, just selling properties, didn't have a care in the world, just making money hand over fist in Hawaii, I'm sure. And he like was like, what the actual fuck when it happened? And he has videos to where there's cars that have no fuel around them that are completely burned to where like cast aluminum has like liquidated away from it, from like the aluminum, the thing you put your rubber tire on. God, obviously I'm a mechanic. I can't think of it. Your rims, basically, they're cast aluminum rims and they're melted. And aluminum has a melting temperature of like 3000 degrees Fahrenheit. And all the houses around it were fine, though. And then there was another one that was way far away from everything. And it just had little short grass around it. And again, that car had, it had cast aluminum, like a a rack on the ceiling. It was like a SUV or something. And they grabbed it and it just turned to powder. So I was leery of the whole do idea, right? Just because I'm leery of sexy conspiracy theories because when 9-11 happened, the hologram planes I actually had someone I later identified as a government op tell me right after 9-11 that there weren't actually planes and they're holograms, except for I knew people who were in Manhattan who felt the, you know, wake of a 747 going not that high above sea level, which creates a big wake in the air. And they heard it and saw it and there's no effing way. And so sexy conspiracy theories often are, are, have been developed, especially since 9-11, to draw people's attention away from things that are completely unexplainable, like the lack of air defense. So when I saw the Lahaina thing, I figured, well, they probably just lit fires, paid some poor homeless people to light fires, and then they shut off the water and turn off the sirens and locked it down. After seeing these cars, I actually think that they did use do, and that's really nice because using an exotic technology is probably in part to test this technology out. Using an exotic technology is going to raise a lot more very difficult questions like these cars than if they had just used standard burning, right? It would have been very difficult for them to do what they wanted to do, just target some but not all houses, right? Because they want to put in a smart city, all that stuff, right? I mean, that's crystal clear to me. That's what the goal was. So they... This guy shows this video, and since then, they've actually put black wall all the way around Lahaina. Why? That's so obvious. Like, oh, out of respect for the victims. That's like you're in Jersey, and you come to this house, and you see that there's this dead mafioso guy with bullet 
phones on the front porch. And then you see all these other mafia guys going around with gloves on, picking things up. And they're like, oh, ounce of respect for the family. Please don't look too closely at that corpse. You know, out of respect for the family. It, it looks like you guys are cleaning up a crime scene. Oh, no, this can be really deceiving. That's why, yeah. Hey, Lou, come over here for a minute. You know what I mean? Like, why would you put black fence up around it? And how can you have a National Guard, a secret police, and regular police response surrounding the perimeter of it, but magically you couldn't save anyone on that day? And that one reeks to me of that there was a horrible, evil ritual. Because someone who's actually lived on Maui told me that's not even like, there's better places to have done that. But that that's the traditional capital, I guess, of Hawaii, the indigenous capital. And a lot of indigenous people were there. And a lot of children were there. And some of the children, I think, they grabbed them, unfortunately, which is terrifying and prayers for those children. But a lot of those children just burned in that horrible fire. And I'm pretty sure it's on a ley line. Basically, all the Hawaiian islands are on a ley line because of all the volcanic activity there. And so that's sending a trauma surge out. But, you know, a funny thing is happening. People are starting to not just go into fear, but they're starting to have the self-preservation starting to kick in for people. People are starting to see it like this Hawaiian real estate guy. He was not a conspiracy theory guy. I promise before this, you can just tell me maybe he was, but he kept it off his channel because I scrolled back like eight months and it was all just buy this real estate. And it's like that a lot of people in Hawaii are waking up. They also killed a bunch of brown people here, you know, right? Indigenous Hawaiians. So, like, that's another thing that creates that lefty dilemma in their mind, you know? And they're clearly going to try and steal that land. I think they're putting up those fences because they're just going to start, go ahead and build that smart city. Yeah. I think they're just going to build it. And I say, great, make it more obvious what you're doing. And I think that someone melted those cars intentionally to leave a calling card. Hmm. Doesn't make sense for the Malakians to do that. But think about it. It's high tech. That means that someone who's on there was either just a good pilot. He's not involved in any of the spiritual stuff other than on a subconscious level. And he just said, I'm going to nuke a couple of these cars and I hope someone finds it. Right. And he just beeped it a couple of times and he's flying through. Or it could be, you know, and does it matter if the spirit is moving through someone or if they're actually like more directly communing with the spirit? But I believe that the Luciferian faction couldn't stop that event from happening. And so instead, they made it really fucking sloppy so people can see what happened and more people wake up. Right. Right. And we, we talked about the differences between the Luciferians and the Malachians in the first uh, interview we've done. So, mm -hmm. folks, I recommend go back and listen to that and also check out your channel on YouTube, White Lotus of Light, where you talk about that at length. But yeah, this is a tragedy, what happened in Lahaina. And we talked about that on a, a few different episodes. And I had yeah. some people who live in Hawaii on the show to talk about it. So no wow. need to retread. But yeah, I, I think you're making some interesting points. And it's when it comes to the direct energy weapons, it seems like, you know, weather manipulations, weather manipulation of some kind could account for it. It seems like the forest fires that have been out of control over the past mm -hmm. decade in the West are connected in some way where you have the same yeah, situation going on. Yeah. And who knows, maybe they're doing that on a micro scale 
in that area they figured out how to concentrate it and you know people may be familiar with this if they're listening to every episode of my show but Topher Gardner past guest on the show he made the assertion that there are ways you can manipulate the weather to create that effect where certain things would seem to be microwaved and other sort of maybe organic materials that can sustain electric charge differently would not be affected in the same way. So we're talking about masonry, we're talking about metals, we're talking about human beings. You know, Mm. these things would be affected as opposed to a tree or grass, which has a high Mm -hmm. concentration of water and also can Mm. ground electricity sufficiently enough to not be burnt by it, right? Which is maybe mm-hmm. what's going on there where you see the metals like completely what's it called when you take is it sub sublimated right sublimation mm-hmm. is when you take a solid and turn it into like a gas or a, a liquid right so yeah i wouldn't know the technology that can do that but it seems like others have have made a bunch of theories and i agree with you on the sexy conspiracy theory point i don't want to be guilty of throwing another conspiracy out there that may lead people astray so definitely keep an open mind folks but just to focus on what's important is like what happened to those children and and yes can we not you know have another situation that just gets brushed under the rug and i agree with the sentiment that hopefully this wakes some people up maybe it's out of sloppiness or maybe out of just sheer brazenness that we can recognize what they're you know, mistakes are, right? However it is that they make them. But when it comes to the angels, it seems like, as you said, free will is so important. And mm-hmm. I think the dark forces, they know that too. And that's a part of mm-hmm. how their magic works, right? I mean, that's kind of what they're manipulating. They're trying to get Absolutely. us to sort of betray ourselves by falling yep. into their plot. Now, let yep. me ask you this, for people who maybe waded into occult waters maybe they were led astray by certain groups or books or something you know Mm -hmm. do the angels offer redemption i mean how easy is it for people to turn their life around i mean even like the elites could they you know turn their life around after committing such tragedies or are they damned well what the angels have told me is that regular angels right the 72 named Shem angels, they're sometimes called, but that class of angels, the one that are closest to us in vibration, everyone always has access to them. And then you have to be unbelievably foul to lose access to the archangels. But it is possible, and like the the evil rulers have that. But everyone can always hear at least angels. The further up you move in the spheres, the more you have to... Um, you have to purify yourself and come into alignment with natural law and integrate things where you've made mistakes and figure out just how to be a better person. I mean, that's the big thing. Like sometimes people be like, Oh, how do you know that the angels are, or that you're not being tricked by demons or whatever. And that is actually a good point. People need to be careful because beings, non-corporeal beings can very easily lie about their nature. But for me, the proof is in the pudding, or as Jesus said, you should know them by their works. And the angels have got me to quit a 27, 28-year rooted in trauma, hardcore pornography addiction. They have helped me be way less of an angry person. 
a way more loving and supportive father. I mean, I was a good father before, but I'm a much better father now. I made a lot of mistakes when I was younger. They've helped me heal trauma. They've helped me in my relationship to myself and my masculinity and also women. One of the things I realized a few years ago is I was really dominated by the dark feminine energy, actually. I was kind of that nice guy who would uh, sidle up next to women and try and get them into bed while not like being overly aggressive and assertive and honest about what my intentions were, right? That I would be like, oh, I just want to be a friend or whatever. But really, I was like wanting to get close to them and hopefully that we could hook up, right? And that's really like a dark feminine move, actually. It's certainly not like the divine feminine, which we all have some of these energies and balance with inside us. But as a general rule, you know, people who make sperm gametes tend to be more divine masculine and people who make ovum egg gametes, which by the way, those two are absolute. Everybody has either one or the other, maybe in exceedingly rare state, rare cases, someone can have both gametes. I, I'm not aware of that. I'm pretty sure one or the other sexual organs does not function. And very often they have no gametes at all. You know, people who are both sexes at birth, you know, the old term is hermaphrodites, intersex, that's the correct term. People who are intersex at birth, but the vast majority of people tend to hold or are meant to hold, if you're male, the divine frequency, divine masculine frequency, or infernal masculine. And if you're female, the divine feminine or the infernal feminine. However, these dark forces have got everyone to invert and move everything around. And they've created a plague of emasculated men, which I was among them, who are dominated by the dark feminine, very passive aggressive, very dishonest and manipulative. And you see women who are dominated by the dark feminine are the ones who are like, again, not bagging on sex workers. I think that's fine. I just think that it's probably difficult for people who do that in the long run. I've known lots of women who were dancers. I've known lots of women who did various different things. And I found in most cases, once they got done doing it, they're like, yeah, that was really draining on me psychologically doing that kind of work. But so not trying to bag on it, but the dark feminine is very much the only fans girl just bleeding all these simps dry, getting all these simp men, probably men stuck in their dark feminine and bleeding them dry. And as a general rule, when women have a choice between a dark feminine male, the nice guy, versus an infernal masculine, the Chad player dude, scumbag, right? The guy who plays bass guitar or whatever. Again, I'm just... I'm just throwing out like, what do you call them? Generalizations or whatever. There's plenty of, I know plenty of bass player dudes who are awesome. But yeah, you know, like just the player dude who's kind of a scumbag and it's just there to nail women and mistreat them and treat them like shit. And is very selfish and often narcissistic. Well, that's the infernal masculine. It's a woman, if she's in her feminine at all, she's going to be more attracted to that as a general rule than the men who are in the dark feminine. What women really crave is divine masculine right? Like Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings, right? Strong, a provider, a protector, noble, in control of his emotions, but also able to feel, wanting to be compassionate, protect the innocent. Women love that. It's the ultimate panty dropper. And I've sort of moved more into that with the help of the angels. And, you know, being stuck in that was really limiting for me. And that was one of the things that the angels helped me move through. And I still have some blind spots and I still have stuff I'm working on. I don't pretend to be enlightened or perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but the angels have really helped me to work through these things. And 
there's so many different things out there in our society that are meant to just lead people away from natural law, but it's reaching a crescendo right now. I mean, like things are really like, it's getting too big to ignore and whether it's brazenness or sloppiness, and I believe it's sloppiness that's born out of desperation might sound funny, but ask yourself, has propaganda been increasing or decreasing? What's been increasing? Is it, is it less obvious and more subtle or is it more obvious and more in your face, right? What about these psyops? Are they getting increasingly obvious and less subtle? That is not the mark of people who are in control. In the 1980s, these people were in total control. Nobody knew that there was duck sorcerers around the world. And they just dominated everything. They did all the bad stuff to the kids back then. Nobody knew about it. Well, They were in total control. And they're in less control now. Yeah, Believe it or not. They really are. Well, it, it doesn't the, mean they're not powerful or dangerous. Sir, go ahead. No, it's fine. I'm glad you said that. And it's definitely something I want to, I guess, simmer on for a little bit. But I wanted to ask you about the angelic influences on the world and culture. Because mm-hmm. people often think about Enochian magic as angels, but something you brought up earlier there's often people who doubt that and say well how do you know those were angels that john d was evoking right he may have thought they were angels but you know he was using a black obsidian mirror and these other people were involved and they were swapping wives and things like this so you know given we're all speaking the english language and there's a whole thought that the Enochian language somehow infused itself into English. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that holds up or do you think the angelic influences couldn't work like that? Yeah, that's so interesting. See this right over here, this giant leather bound books back there, though, that's actually like limited edition, all of John D's writings. And I haven't certainly read that exhaustively. I feel a real resonance with John D for some reason. I have not as of yet, and I plan to talk to the angels, I have not as of yet done any Anakian workings. What I find fascinating and interesting, first of all, I like D, but I don't like Kelly very much. That was his partner. And it was through Kelly that came the message of wife swapping and stuff like that, which ended up ruining John D's marriage, I'm pretty sure if I recall correctly. Um, so... You know, there's kind of two camps. There's people who like Kelly or there's people who like D. But most people don't like both. You know, or most people don't. Some people, I guess, probably dislike both. But um, I, I'm just not I'm just not sure enough. I I have a liking for John D that is irrational, perhaps. Like maybe I had a past life noom or something like that. I don't know. That said, it, it, knocking workings, I haven't really done them. I've been told by a lot of people that they're, you know, quite dangerous. There's... You know, one thing that is true is when you move up in the spheres, the energy, the higher order angels is quite astonishing. Like when I had just gotten to where I was working with the virtues, and so I was a long way from having an appropriate vibration to go to the first sphere where the Ophanum and cherubim and seraphim dwell. I made the mistake once. One of the things I'm able to do, and I, I, I use it exceedingly sparingly, pretty much only with the virtue angels now, but I am able to channel. And so I once tried to channel the Ophanum, right? Those are the wheels within wheels, 
that Ezekiel saw, right, with the eyes on the wheels. And that is, in fact, what they look like. At least that's what they appear to me. They're a very interesting class of angels. But anyways, I channeled that, and it was like I was shouting when I couldn't talk without, like, just shouting. And, like, with, like, this crazy reverberation in my voice. I have a recording of it someplace. And when I was experiencing it, I'd been tasered before. It felt like I was being constantly tased only with, like, an even higher vibration. And... It was very awe-inspiring and a bit terrifying, and I couldn't sleep for 12 hours afterwards. I channeled them very late at night, like 11.30 p.m. to midnight, and I couldn't sleep until the next day at 8 to 10 a.m., something like that, even though I was super tired because so much energy had gone through me. So I've heard from people who have done Anaki and Magic that there's quite a huge amount of energy going through, and that that person who uh, also did darker magic was like found it extremely uncomfortable. I will say, without giving away too much, that the angels are very electromagnetic in nature. I mean, I believe the demons are as well. And they will sort of zap you with celestial lightning to raise your vibration. And so I can't really make an informed comment on Anakian magic itself. What I do find interesting about Anakian, the language, I've never heard that contended before that English has Anakian in it. That's fascinating. For a long time, people thought that John D. had created... Enochian, and that he had just made it out of whole cloth, except for a funny thing. There was a Italian magician who also claimed to talk to angels about 100 years before John Dee, and I forget his name. But with John Dee, they looked at Enochian, and it had a syntax to it that worked, that was logically consistent internally, but it didn't match any syntax of any known human language. So this Italian guy who a century before John Dee also claimed to talk to the angels. He too had fragments of a language that were completely separate from the ones that John Dee had, except for one thing, they had the same syntax. So it's possible John Dee was quite a scholar. He traveled quite a lot. It's possible he come, could have come across this man's writings, although he was extremely obscure, and most people didn't even know this until like the 20th century right, with the greater amount of information. It's possible John D. saw that and he was smart enough to, like, mimic that syntax because he certainly was a polymath genius. I just, I don't know. I think it's real. I think it's a real language. Is it the language of the angels? It's interesting to me. It's intriguing to me. I am not 100% sure on that, and it's not something that I've asked the angels a lot, but I kind of feel like I need to because you're about the third person in the past month to bring up Anakian magic to me. And so whenever I have that kind of repeated message from the universe, you know, it's maybe something for me to to look into. Yeah. Um, well, and it's yeah. not a obsession of mine. So I guess it is sort of a synchronicity through and through because for me, I had recently just had a guest on talking about the gospel of Thomas and it caused me to mm. brush off two books that I have on the shelf here titled The Forgotten Books of Eden and the Lost Books of the Bible. And the Lost Books of the Bible has The Secrets of Enoch in it, which is, uh, I don't know how many pages, but it's not very long. It's sort of brief, but it's all the information of Enoch's account as it would have been in the Old Testament before it was taken out. But yeah very interesting stuff regardless and i didn't want to neglect to ask you that because yeah it's not every day that i speak with somebody who is versed in this stuff and it's something that you know as a catholic growing up 
I knew about angels. I've, you know, interacted with the concept of like praying to saints and praying to angels and different angels and saints having different purposes. And it, it always struck me as to use a term you just introduced to the show, clear cognizance. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Clear cognizance. I always had that experience with things like that. Like when I would learn about religion and spirituality, you know, I never really fully ascribed to Catholicism, but certain things rang true with me while I undergone learning all that stuff as a kid. But it, you know, regardless when it comes to the angels, how does someone begin? What what do you recommend people do if they're completely new to this? Maybe they don't have a spiritual upbringing. Maybe they do. Where does someone start to, you know, bring this angelic magic into their life safely? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really great question. I actually teach angelic magic classes. I actually have one that has one slot left. I might open a second class for like West Coast time. I'm not sure. Or maybe another East Coast time. It's currently East Coast time. I'm actually doing that Thursday, the 28th is when the first class is. And I may, like I said, I may open up another one. Classes have to be on Thursdays because of the way the ritual works. But I teach from a specific textbook, although there's a couple of things in the book that I don't like, but I just use the fairly standard. It's, you know, well-known, like the Shem Talisman and invoking Arzel and then Raziel and then invoking the specific angel I want to work with. So I do teach people that and I just use as a text. And again, I don't endorse necessarily like this company or this author. He just happened to have a very clear, I'm looking to see if I can find that book. He just happened to have a very clear way of sort of describing things. Hang on. Oh, here it is. Um, And so I use it um, to teach from, and I have all my students by this text. So, so this is okay. Just keep in mind, like, like there's a section in there where the person clearly, whoever was writing that passage of it, like they used, they used a metaphor of basically demonic magic for angelic magic, which was very bizarre and very like distasteful to me. And I didn't like it at all talking about doing bad things with angelic magic, but none of the angels allow you to do the things he described. He said, Oh, you could hurt your enemy or whatever with this, with magic. And it'd be, you know, that's one, one way you could manifest the magic and you'd have to be specific about how you wanted to hurt the person or whatever. And then just use very dark stuff that you wouldn't actually use in angelic magic. It's very, just a very odd passage. And that's what I mean is like magicians uh, are all able to access the angels and most are able to access the archangels. Beyond that, uh, I am not aware of there being any book out there on the principalities or the virtues or the powers or dominions or both of them, cherubim, seraphim, how to interact with them. Whereas you can interact with the darkest of demons. I think it's just because we're in the Kali Yuga. But this is the book, The 72 Angels of Magic. And again, I can't really endorse Damon Brand. I'm not against him either. I just can't endorse, like, I'm not endorsing that person other than this book is the one that I used to teach from. And I know a lot of subtleties that aren't discussed in the book, you know, about just certain things that I do a little bit different than the book that I found to work. I just talk a lot with people about, like, why magic works and, you know, how it works and how to word your magic in a way that's extra protecting yourself. And something that people should understand is that if you don't like it here on earth and you're someone who wants to like transcend, 
you know, and you're like, hey, I want to be a Buddhist and transcend to nirvana and, and escape samsara. Well, you definitely don't want to do magic then, because any form magic you do, it binds you more tightly to the wheel of samsara and it makes it far more likely you'll reincarnate here on Earth. Far, far more likely, because you're using your free will to co-create reality. And it, that just sort of binds you to the wheel more. Now, I'm willing to do it because I actually weirdly like it here. I've been here a long time, and I actually really like it here. Um, sometimes humans I find deeply frustrating, but I love this planet. I love this experience of life. And so for me, that's not a grim prospect. But that is something that I would warn people against is that do be aware that there's a very uh, heavy karmic burden to magic. Now, if you're using a lot of magic to help people, you're accruing good karma. That's the thing. You're accruing good karma, but you're also more or less guaranteeing that you'll reincarnate here on Earth. Um, now, some people don't believe in reincarnation, and that's their choice. And I guess if you don't believe in reincarnation, then it doesn't have that downside. I wouldn't feel comfortable saying it to someone without mentioning that. I always tell my students that, that by the way, it does make it more likely that you'll incarnate here. But the, the 72 angels, these you know, Shem angels, the lower order angels, the ones that are closest to us in vibration, they're very gentle and wonderful, and they can help you do lots of things. It's really important how you phrase things, like when there's the requests in there of different powers. Like I always say, um, if it's in my soul's highest good and in accordance with the divine plan of the Most High, when I'm invoking the specific power of the angel, I always add that. And then that way I'm just telling the angels, like, you know, they would probably veto it anyway, because the difference between demons and angels among the many of them is that if you ask a demon, hey, let's say you had, like I do, like I'm struggling with back pain right now. Let's say you had you had back pain, and, and I'm not, although I was many years ago, but let's say you're a bit of an opiate addict, right? And you have back problems, and you're like, I really need money. And you summon a demon, you say, I want a million dollars. And they're like, so just to be clear, you want a million dollars no matter what? And you're like, yeah, that's why I summoned you. And they said, so you want a million dollars regardless of what the consequences are? And you say, yeah. And they go, I just want to be utterly clear on this. You want a million dollars, no matter what form that takes and what happens to you afterwards? And you say yes, and the demons go, asked you three times, you got it. And the next day, your mom dies, and she had a million-dollar life insurance accident, and you start putting two and two together and realizing, oh, my God, that magic I did, I think I killed my mom and got her insurance policy. And you already have an opiate addiction because you have a bad back, and next thing you know, because you have all this money and you feel really guilty, you OD on fentanyl after your life spirals downward, right? You're in the exact same situation. You summon an angel and say, I want a million dollars. They'll just they'll look down and they can see because they're higher dimensional beings, they can see especially short-term branches in reality. And they'll just see, oh, if we did that, there's really no way to get you a million dollars quickly. That isn't going to harm the free will of others. And also, if you got this million dollars, it wouldn't go well for you because you haven't done the internal work yet. And so that's going to create less harmony in your life, vetoed. So angels treat you like you're a child, and demons treat you like you're an adult, is one way of looking at it. But I would much rather have guardrails on these kind of forces, such as the angels vetoing what I do. And they have vetoed requests of mine in the past. And I mean, part of it is like, one of the things I teach people is I teach people all the subtleties to magic because you can do the ritual perfectly exactly right. But then if you're like thinking about the ritual constantly after the fact, doubting it or whatever, there's ways that you can mess up your own spell. And so it can be difficult 
difficult to discern, like, did the angels just veto it or did I mess it up? Right. And I found that when I first started, I'd have like maybe 40% to 50% hit rate. But it was because most things I was asking for, I just wasn't really ready for. I'd also have crazy things like one time I asked for money and I was really desperate and I'd actually work my way by that point pretty deep in the second sphere. And I asked for money and literally the next day a client gave me a thousand dollar tip. A thousand dollar tip, <laughs> which was like absolutely life-saving at the time. It was a lot of money for me in that moment. You know, grand's not that huge in the long the grand scheme of things, right? It doesn't pay rent, but still, like most people don't tip a thousand dollars. And I didn't say anything to that person. It just like that was how that the day after the ritual, that was how it manifested. And so one of the things is, is that you can get hooked on like having these things happen or whatever. And I think that's really kind of missing the beauty of what the angels can do, which is the angels can start having you change your internal blockages. So you can just tap into that already naturally available abundance by aligning you. Another way I describe it is that if reality is a vibration. Dark magicians will grab that vibration. They'll bend it and they'll bring it, bind it to their will. And they'll just hold it like a spring and they'll hold it. And eventually that it'll snap back and I'll hit them across the face or whatever. Usually whatever they did, they have to like re-up on the spell. They have to go deeper. They have to take another pack. They have to do whatever. It's just like that first hit of heroin, and then you got to take more and more. And then eventually, you know, it doesn't end well. But they're trying to change reality to their will. Whereas with an angelic magician, if you're doing it correctly, you're trying to change yourself to where you're in more in greater alignment with natural law, like a surfer that's riding a wave of reality you know that same wave to somebody else might have them go tumble 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 and even drown but when you master yourself then you can ride that wave like a surfer can and you'll also find that when you're opening yourself up to the grace of what the angels think is best for you it's almost always better than what your mind thought at least that's been my experience yeah wow wise words i really appreciate that and you know, obviously folks should go and seek out that class. I would love to share that link with folks. And if you do make sure. uh, another time or slot for the West Coast available, do let me know because we do have a, a big audience in, out West. But as we yeah, want... Well, if I have the interest, I'll do it. It's just a matter of, you know, I keep my classes small. Like I have a five person cap on it. Astrology is different. You can teach a lot of people with that, but with magic, because you witness each other's ritual, and that's part of what boosts it, is that everyone does the ritual together, um, that boosts it, that same amplification that we talked about with the dark magicians and the hijacking people's brains with the 2012 Olympics. Here, you're consenting to have this other person witness you, a person who's not a muggle, that's key, someone who's there and sort of supporting you in the ritual, that will amplify your magic but it's with full consent then and with full being honest about what the intentions are for the people with whatever their spells. And most people just, I'm always so touched by what my students, they're almost always the beautiful things. I want to help my dad. I want to help my kids struggling at school and it's getting bullied. And I want to like, people almost always have these really beautiful things they want to do with the magic. They're just naturally use it correctly. Like in non-selfish means that doesn't also mean that you can't, ask for more abundance in your life, you know, you absolutely can. For a lot of people, what the lack of abundance is, is 
it's some kind of internal blockage that you can heal. And then that's even more powerful than the angelic magic. There's nothing wrong with asking for things to help yourself out. As long as you're also like just being a, a loving and generous person in the world, you know, and because if you start getting selfish, pretty soon you're probably just not even going to want to work with the angels at all. You'll be like, oh, I'm going to work with demons. Right. So, but you do have to be careful because it is, you know, it's crazy. Like to be able to turn cheat code on reality is a very potent thing. And you have to really have real reverence around it. And you have to, I think, have the right attitude around it. First of all, it just will, the angels will veto it eventually. If you're just being selfish all the time, they'll just veto it. You know, you really have to balance that. And when you ask for abundance, you generally, it's considered good form to like tithe 10%, not to a church, but to like find a local charity. You know, like uh, um, I used to work with DV clients. So like I often give to uh, domestic violence shelters for women, things like that. So yeah, whatever your charity of choice might be. So anyways, there's more to it, but yeah, I will, um, I'll go ahead and open up a second class and worst case, nobody signs up. I'll just close it down. No problem. Right so I'll, I'll say there's six slots then available. There's one more in a class that's filling and then I'll make another one available. I'll probably just keep it at East coast time because it's much harder to, uh, help the East coasters than it is the West coasters. Right. On. Cause it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of longer. So, yeah. Well, and I hope those who feel called seek this out because it's definitely something that I think can change people's lives. I've experienced it in my own life uh, with mm. prayer and energy work. And yeah, I mean, I definitely need to reassess. I think every year people should reassess where they're at. But mm. uh, yeah, maybe that'll come to fruition in the form of signing up for your class. But as we wind down here, any final thoughts for folks? I know you're someone who looks yeah. forward to the future. Any thoughts of what's to come? You do have a YouTube video titled 2023, the year of the UFO. And I'm wondering, you know, mm -hmm. is there anything on that horizon that you think is coming up or anything else that we can expect from 2023 as we come to a close well, here? Yeah. So that's a great uh, video that I'm, I actually need to release. It's a second part. I hurt my back really badly uh, a few days ago, and so I, I wasn't able to get out part two of that. I'll be getting that out in the next few days. But it's a great interview with uh, Walter Bosley, who is pretty well known as one of the more serious um, and I think credible researchers in sort of ufology. But that title wasn't anything more than what's already happened, although it's pretty clear to me, you know, there's this book called The Report from Iron Mountain, and in it they mentioned three ways that you could take over the planet. And it's a pandemic. Uh, climate crisis and a fake daily innovation, right? These are all pretty well known now in uh, conspiracy circles, not sometimes always known is that those three are linked actually. And if you look, there's a lot of media about all three of those uh, right now, right? Like that looked like they were going to come back with mass and stuff, but then, Hey, another sign of the times of things being positive, people push back on that. So they had to roll it back really quickly. Like Kaiser Permanente in San Jose, California had to roll it back. A medical place had to roll it back. That's stunning to me. A historically Black College and then Lionsgate, which is very a very creepily named production company, they had to roll it back as well. They're saying to do with the crucifixion of Christ and the Lionsgate. I don't remember right off the top of my head. Uh, and that's why that uh, film company is named after that. But uh, yeah, so... there's there. Uh, I am of the opinion that things are going to get very dicey in the next few years. Probably 2024 is going to be a real shit show. You know, I mean, there's going to be the next election. Like, remember how bad it got during 2020? 
there's going to be definitely some shenanigans and, and awfulness. I also feel like it might be the year when finally the gloves come off, certainly no later than March of 2025 in this, you know, conflict between the elites, which I think is, I also think it's even more than just Luciferian versus Milwaukee. And like, I think both those groups to some degree have really factionalized in the last few years and that there's uh, a, a lot more internecine fighting among the elites than people are aware of. There's a lot of assassinations going on of rich people and so forth. Not the uber rich, although, you know, a couple of years ago, there was that plane or helicopter crash with one of the Rothschilds, one of the high up Rothschilds died in that, which could have been an assassination, you know, like, was David Rockefeller just a trillion years old or was he killed? Some people say he was killed. And he was a trillion years old, so I mean, like, do keep that in mind. But I do always wonder when I see these very high profile, and for both a Rockefeller and a Rothschild to die within the past three years, and these were guys at the very pinnacles of power, right? Among the, there's much deeper layers, you know, the Venetian black nobility stuff, but of known power brokers, these guys are real heavyweights and that they died, and Zbigniew Brzezinski died. You know, was that just like we got lucky and those guys were old? Could be, could also be that something else happened there. But where you can definitely see assassinations taking place is in the crypto world. It's very common right now. Crypto billionaires getting killed left, right, and center. And that's a very important like battlefront, the whole new financial system that's going to be coming online in 2025. So I think it's possible that in 2024, we could even see them get real desperate and roll out the fake daily invasion. I don't think it's happening this year. Uh, I don't think they've been doing enough. Uh, my, it's funny, my brother who doesn't believe in any of this kind of stuff is actually someone on board with me about this possibility of a fake daily invasion. Cause I was just like, does this make any sense to you how much it's in the media? And he was like trying to write it off, but he is starting to wonder now a little bit. And you would, he, he pointed out that you would have to have a more definitive proof of aliens that would be brought forward before you could then run a fake alien invasion. So that Avi Loeb guy just found supposed extraterrestrial metal spheres or whatever off some of the coast of some place in Asia. And he's, you know, it's a meteorite or whatever, but this guy also contended that Uamuna or whatever it was that remember that long, weird object that came in and then it left the solar system, which that's weird in and of itself that thing was able to leave the solar system after like, how did it manage to slingshot around the sun? That's crazy, you know, and not just get sucked in. So they would have to bring out more tangible evidence before they could run that psyops. I feel like, so, you know, I would look for more things like that. Perhaps there's another shooting down of a, of a UFO, like they supposedly did at the beginning of the year, but this time bringing forward wreckage of some kind, so, yeah, I think that 2024 things are going to get nuts. And then 25 to 2025 to 2030 is really, I think that's going to be when the Luciferians take over from the Malachians. And that's going to be at that point, I think there'll be some kind of full-blown open conflict between these two groups. I don't think it'll last that long. I don't think it'll last more than a year or two, the major sort of fight right? Like it might only even last a few months. It's possible, you know, with advancements in technology, it may not take that long. I don't know. But um, 2030 and beyond, it seems like, according to what the angels say anyway, 
that'll be much better. And also the astrology improves quite a bit around 2026, 2027. The astrology has been like all kinds of hard angles to the outer planets, all kinds of just like, it's just been really rough for years now, the astrology. You know, that's another thing I do is that I'm a Vedic astrologer. And so I look at people's natal and Navamsa charts. And with your natal chart, it's your first 40 years of life. And then Navamsa, I'm in the school of thought that it's your second half of life. And I have a very different first and second half of life that very much weighs out in these charts. You know, that's something that I can tell people is that it sometimes helps to have a little bit of guidance. But at the end of the day, what people really need to do is take care of their physical needs and then immediately start working on trauma and healing your trauma and integrating your shadow. Because one of the things angels have said to me is that there's going to be an event, a bottleneck event, they call it. And they say there'll be a period of time, and I don't know how long, I don't know whether this event happens over years or what, but there'll be a period of time to where we have almost no free will externally. Like all external events are completely predestination. There was that uh, Project Looking Glass a number of years ago, which I found after the angels had told me this about that some event happened in the future that no matter what the elites did with the Project Looking Glass looking into the future, they couldn't beat it. And it was like it came to this bottleneck, this singular event, and then people threw off the shackles of the most evil people. So like the Malachians getting trounced, basically. And this guy doesn't identify a date, I don't think. But if you look it up, you can find on YouTube, like the Project Looking Glass, they saw an event, the elite saw an event or something like that. But the angels say that during that period of time, we'll have no external free will, but as always, we'll have total internal free will. And our reaction internally is going to set up how our lives are at the other on the other end of this bottleneck and or our next reincarnation, you know, if perhaps we don't make it through such an event in that. Therefore, the best thing we can do right now is to really work on our healing, to really work on healing our trauma, on integrating our shadow and figuring out the ways that we're missing the mark as human beings, the way that we can be better to one another and in greater harmony. So that's what I would tell people is that I actually think the future is going to be amazing, you know. Right. Well, and it sure. sounds like what you're describing oh, is the end of the Kali Yuga cycle and mm-hmm. the elites can't defy the cycles of time, no matter what they do. Right. Even if they could time travel to the future, they realize that you know, there's nothing they can do. And I love that. That creates immense hope in me and I hope it does in the audience. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I was hoping you would share with us, Ian, you are a tremendously bright light, a white oh, light, thank you, brother. some would say, a white <laughs> lotus of light. And I love having you on the show. I think you crushed it last time. You crushed it this time. And obviously people know I help Sam find guests for his shows and you do an excellent job with that show as well. So yeah, it's really cool to know you and to talk about all this stuff. So look forward to an email from me to have you back on the show again soon to get in all this. And and yeah, I mean, thank you so much, folks, please go to YouTube, follow white Lotus of light and go to white Lotus of light.com for more info about Ian and how you can get in touch with them, how you can sign up for the courses we discussed. Anything else you want to promote or plug before we wrap up here? Yeah, just I'm not going to be, I've said this before, but I am in the next few months, I'm going to transition to working for this 
awesome corporation that's doing, I think, really amazing work that really will help Liberty and actually, I think, have a really profoundly positive impact on the planet. And so when I switch into that, I'm going to stop doing astrology readings. I'm going to continue because it's very important. So the angels want me to do angelic magic and especially to find people who are able to do the higher order magic. That's really important. They're like the time is now it really needs to spread. And so I'm going to continue to do that, but I'm going to basically stop doing astrology for people publicly. I'm not sure exactly when I had thought I was going to start in like July or something like that. And I started to wind up my business. And then unfortunately the CEO and founder had a terrible health crisis and uh, that kind of derailed things. And it, um, it's taking a little bit longer to get some of the financial stuff in place in part because of that. And so the good news is that I'm, I am doing charts for the next couple of months, probably through at least through October and maybe into November. And so I do a lot of different things and maybe my angelic magic thing is like my thing that I operate at the highest level, but um, I'm a really excellent Jyotishi or Vedic astrologer. And so learning about, you know, near-term karmas and how they're going to unfold can be really, really helpful. And if you're, if you're just turned 40 or on the cusp of turning 40, you know, that Navamsa chart can really give you a shot in the arm in terms of hope. And I also teach people how to hack their charts and be able to lean into the positive indication of the so-called negative houses, negative planets. And it's as though you have like 10,000 volts of electricity that need to come through you. And like, I have a very charged eighth house. And so I experienced that when I was younger in an unconscious way of loss and betrayal and, and death. And then I started to lean into it, become an astrologer, do all the things I do now. And now I experience as that higher octave of the eighth house astrology, angelic magic, Reiki, all these kind of like more positive things. And so that energy comes through me and I no longer experience it as loss and debt and death. And so if you have a really powerful sixth, eighth or 12th house, or it's afflicted or whatever, you can lean into the positive indications of those things. And it's a way to like, you can have a complete boomerang in your life by le leaning into the positive indications of your chart. And so uh, that can be really powerful. And I also do, last plug, I also do um, uh, spiritual guidance. And one of the main things I focus on with people is helping them with trauma. I have, I'm recovering from in the process of healing from complex PTSD. I had extreme trauma when I was younger, and I have been able to heal that to a huge degree. And that's something that I can teach people how to do. And it's such a powerful thing. You'll be astonished how much you're able to accomplish when trauma isn't just constantly sapping you, constantly sapping you. And there's some people who are probably like beyond my skill. And there's people I know who can help those folks, but especially if people have like more moderate to, to light trauma, that's stuff that I can definitely help people with. If it's super severe, like I had, I've had mixed success and it's a long road, but that's something that I also help people with or just giving spiritual guidance in general, people who are questioning, you know, what's next for me in this lifetime? What do I need to do? You know, and so often people already know the answers. It's just, I'm a big believer in helping people reclaim their own power and their own understanding of who and what they already are. You know, people already know they usually just for some reason have some kind of like fear or need for permission to really go in the direction of their passions in life, you know, and to figure out how to do it in a way that they can make a living, you know? So, yeah, 
That's what I'd say. And thank you so much, Mark, for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, no, thank you. The pleasure is mine. And of course, folks, follow up with Ian, especially if you feel called to any of his uh, services that he offers. And immerse yourself in the moment, wherever you are in the now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Today's guest was Akila. Akila. Trying not to use the same uh, phrases that Sam uses uh, on Tinfoil Hat. I don't want this show to sound like I'm just, you know taking bits and pieces of other podcasts and putting them together because initially that's kind of what I did. I mean, that's how most art, uh, gets started, right? You, you take your inspirations and you sort of mold those inspirations into what eventually becomes your own brand or your own style or whatever you innovate, whoever you may be. So, yeah. No more hammer the gods. No more returning champion. That's Sam's. That's Sam's rhetoric. I got to come up with my own, my own podcast lingo. Okay, so um, shout out to Ian Ferguson, who's a funky ass cat. He's got the FAC award on this show, the Funky Ass Cat Award, yo. Anyways. I just had a great day. Shout out to Matt, who I met at the Sam Tripoli comedy show in Broadbrook, Connecticut. He was very kind to me there. Uh, said, what's up? He said he wanted to go on a tour. I said, anytime. Hit me up on Instagram. And he did. And we went on a tour around New Haven. And... It looks like we're going to be doing these more often, so stay tuned. I'm going to be planning a tour, and I'm hoping to get at least 15 people there. I'm going to make an Eventbrite or some sort of event thing that people can sign up and be a part of. So look out for that in the description of this episode because I'm recording this two or three days before it goes out to the public supporters only they get it first and not next week but the following week i'm only going to put out one episode so don't freak out don't be like oh what's going on i'm only going to put out one episode that week and it's going to be a good one don't worry but there's going to be a second episode that comes out that week for supporters only so basically what's going to happen is when there's a new episode out for the supporters that new episode for the public will be the episode from the week before for the supporters so they'll just be delayed so if you want the show first you want the show when it's fresh when it's relevant sign up on patreon sign up on substack Rockfin is a little different. If you want the video version of this show, you can get the video version of the show. I don't edit the video as nearly as much as I do for the audio. So sometimes there's parts where 
you know, I had to cut it out of the audio, pauses and things like that that I can't do for video. But it is a different kind of style of the show. You get to see everything going on. You get to see what I'm doing at my desk. You get to see what I'm doing at my desk, whether I'm rolling up a blunt, whether I'm smoking, whether I'm having a drink of uh, pineapple juice. We're drinking a lot of pineapple juice this month. Pineapple juice and pineapple sparkling juice, which is basically soda, but I love it. So you can see that if you watch the video version of the show. Pretty neat, huh? Pretty freaking cool. All right. So it's been humid. That's why I'm out of breath right now, because just existing this week has been exhausting. <laughs> and that's exhausting to listen to, right? Anytime somebody's exhausted, you don't want to listen to that. I don't want to exhaust you guys out there. So I'm going to move on from that. But shout out to Matt. He's a cool dude. I gave him a tour, and then he brought Tara and I to a bar. We hung out. Uh, this is actually a bar I've been to a ton. I love going there. It's actually a bar where George W. Bush did cocaine when he was a student at Yale. Go figure. Who, who would have guessed that George W. Bush was doing cocaine with his daddy's oil money when he was a student at Yale yep best and brightest over there anyways we went there and then and then Matt brought us to what he called the pyramid rock and there's all these signs even when you get to it there's a sign that shows you that you're at the pyramid rock and it's this huge rock in the middle of the woods I mean it's huge and I got to thinking after we left I'm like you know what if that was a melted pyramid? Like some sort of energy beam hit it and it melted into what now just looks like a big rock boulder. I mean, crazier things have happened, folks. So shout out to Matt for showing us that. That's out somewhere in the woods. I can't disclose where. It's a secret location. But we might talk about it on Esoteric America. So look forward to that. Shout out to Tara. Her and I are going to be doing uh, our own show soon, just me and her. We're going to do the first episode this week, and it's going to be available for supporters only. So we'll see if that actually comes to fruition. I probably sound like a guy who makes a lot of promises, and I'm going to keep them all. I promise. I promise. I promise. I promise. I Look at that. I'm making even more promises, but I do have um, a really hard time making a promise and not fulfilling it. And if I don't fulfill it, it really gets to me, right? Like the whole Skull and Bones podcast, I want to put out another episode. I just really haven't had the time to do it. And I want to be able to keep up with the podcast that goes out for everybody. So I really have to focus on that first. That is the priority and then if I have extra time on top of that, I can do bonus content, right? So if you support the show on Patreon especially, but Substack as well, if you support the show, you can help me dedicate more time to creating content to give out for free to the masses. This isn't charity, folks. Okay, this is value for value. 
This comes from the school of Adam motherfucking Curry, okay? Value for value. If you value this show, if you value all the time, all the effort, all the amazement that you get out of this show, okay? I don't know how you get effort out of this show. I hope I motivate you. This fucking rant that I'm on right now better motivate you to support this podcast. And a hundred and something people have already done it. And we're hoping to get to 250 people as soon as possible. And I don't know why I had so much trouble saying 250, but 250, we get tens and tens of thousands of people listening to this show. Why do we, why are we only in the hundreds? Come on, folks, support the show. I'll put a hell of a lot more time into creating bonus content. And it'll be worth your $5. Okay? So look at that. We made it to the end of another episode. Of course, we got to thank our favorite sponsor who values the show and sends value back my way. The Hit Kit. The number one way to get lit. And unlike Nike or McDonald's or Walmart, you know, Garrett's not some phony corporation. He's an actual human being who listens to this podcast, creates something really cool that I use every day. And uh, yeah, so that's a good reason for you to sit down, listen to this, okay, and support Garrett. Go to The Hit Kit on Instagram or hitkit.us and use the promo code CRAZY to save 15% at checkout. So go and do that right now. Get yourself a Hit Kit. Get your friend a Hit Kit. If you know somebody who enjoys a good smoke from time to time, get them a hit kit. You can get custom designs. You can get your name on it. Whatever you want. You could, you can get, you know, get a prank hit kit. Get a big old fat lady on the hit kit and give it to your friend and said, hey, I was going to get you a cake, but she ate it. That's a joke I heard, okay? On a birthday card. Where'd those birthday cards go? Anyways... That's enough. That's enough for me. Thank you for tuning in. Support our guest, Ian Ferguson, White Lotus of Light, on YouTube. Support this show. Go in the description. Click the link to sign up on the Patreon. Click the link to sign up on Substack. Click the link to send us a one-time donation and get a freaking shout-out. And that's it. Love you all. I hope this episode inspired you. I'm inspired. And if you want to send some good karma your way, send some value my way with a one-time donation. Or sign up, support the show. Anyways, that's all. That's all, folks. MFTIC. Yeah. Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface They want you confused like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals, dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy, I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war, the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes of a copy of a human body DNA fractal, the universe within me Epiphanies of science is hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters know the power of the mantra Repeating mad lies till it has an effect on ya Subliminal messages hiding
hijack your perception Tricking the population with holographic projections We see through it the system is unraveling I'm astral traveling Through the library of the Vatican On a sacred journey I embark with the squad Forever spitting truth Like Mark on the pod Gotta know the facts Never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up In the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade I awoke in a deep underground military base Zero recollection of how I got to this place Alien corpses floating in glass cylinders Must have been extracted when they crashed into us Animal hybrids contained in the cages A lion with the eagle head Monkeys with reptilian bases Losing my mind and I'm feeling desperate I look around the room and I see no sign of an exit All of a sudden the wall flickers away Revealing a hangar full of spacecraft My getaway, I run to the nearest one See a guard knock him out Rob him for his plasma gun Hop in the ship, take the controls they highly intuitive, I figure it out easily Lift off, accelerate through a tunnel until I see the light Fly into the sky, get flanked by six F-35s Gotta know the facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality, looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy, you might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, is no measure of health To be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are we the ones who gonna expose the whole facade <laughs>